Welcome to the Zulu Time podcast, a straight talking conversation between two watch enthusiasts about the world of military watches. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the 31st episode of the ZT podcast with your host Dan from Timely Underscore Moments. So today guys is another uh, interview. Uh, It's a continuation of the collector interview series as I like to call it Um, and it's a bit of a special one because before we started recording we just realized that it's the anniversary of the Battle of Trafalgar. And the gentleman who has come on to, well, I've coerced and dragged on against his will uh, to talk about watches is um, ex-Royal Navy uh, and ex-Royal Marines. Um, And he has also done an event called the Trafalgar Way, which we'll actually talk about. So I think that was quite a a cool little coincidence there for the Battle of Trafalgar. So we'll raise a glass of rum, is it, for the Royal Navy types out there uh, to celebrate the victory at Trafalgar. and yeah, that's kind of all I've got for the Trafalgar stuff. Um, another thing, just so you're aware, um, the first batch of ZT podcast patches were sent out earlier this week and I believe have started to arrive with their uh, respective owners. Um, for those who haven't got a patch yet, it's not because I've chinned you off and I'm not squaring you away. It's that I'm waiting for the delivery of the second batch. Um, your envelopes are on my side um awaiting names and addresses once they arrive with me i will send out the appropriate messages to those who are will be a part of the second batch and i plan to have those out by the end of the week um so yeah that's the only zt podcast admin that i need to highlight to you guys as the listeners and without further ado i'd like to bring uh rob on so rob how are you getting on mate i'm all right dan how are you good man good how's your day off good uh, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, I've done a lot, really. I, I took a photo, strangely oh. enough. <laughs> and we will be talking about your photography later on because it is um, incredible. And I aspire to that level of watch photography myself. Um, and actually, it's quite funny how actually your photography is the reason that we started talking because your Instagram popped up out of nowhere. Um, and they were full of absolutely wonderful Vertex M100 photos. So um, I'm gonna hand it over to you for a little bit. Uh, You can give us a bit of an overview on yourself. Um, But before we do, what watch have you got on today? Surprisingly enough, um, a a Vertex M100. Uh, Got it on a a Zulu Alpha Coyote 10 uh, with a white ensign to obviously celebrate the uh, 215th anniversary of the Battle of Trafalgar. Fantastic. Awesome. And it's a great watch, a great strap. And I like the fact that you've tied in your roots with the Royal Navy and uh, Trafalgar Day. Um, I know it's not your only watch, and we're going to talk about that later on when we talk about what's in the collection. But I'm assuming that that watch is pretty much the only watch you now wear because it is amazing. Yes. Since I I got it... um, couple of three months ago now um i haven't taken it off um literally the only time i take it off is to take photos of it or <laughs> change this or change the strap um the, the rest of the time it's on my wrist um it's getting put through its paces that's for sure 
Yes, and especially in the role that you do now, as um, as obviously you're going to tell us what you do, but um, I'm sure it will definitely uh, stand up to the uh, hardships and potential hardships that you will encounter in 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 your in your current role. Um, I too, mate, am also wearing a Vertex, but I had to deconflict. We couldn't both be wearing M100, so <laughs> I've got the MP45 on, which, as uh, many of you know, um, was sent out to me earlier in the year by Vertex themselves. And it's such a great watch. In fact, I lent this out to uh, Mark, who runs his page, Jana Watch. Um, and it was like the returning of a prodigal son when that came back. It just went straight back onto the wrist and I've not worn much else uh, since. So yeah, I think it's just Vertexes. They're made to be worn, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, like I say, ever since, I've, I've always had a, a um, Vertex have always been on my radar, but mm. I've, I've never really had the disposable cash to go and buy one. Um, so I've always settled for cheaper watches, if you like. Um, mm. And then listening to your podcast, getting the vibe for Vertex from you guys, and then um, touching base with Don, the, his level of service is second to none. And um, yeah, um, he, he even gave me the heads up to wait a bit because the uh, bronze 75 was coming out um, so I waited looked at the bronze 75 mm -hmm. but actually I don't think I can pull a bronze watch off yeah. as, as lovely as they as lovely as they are um, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd struggle to pull a bronze one off uh, so yeah I went for the M100 um, and uh, yeah literally the following day it was at my house and I put it on the wrist and it's never been off that's awesome i'm really pleased that you well on a selfish note i'm really pleased that you listened to the you've put up with 30 episodes of my voice um and now obviously you've you now feature in uh this episode but um i am pleased that um we've managed to aid the expansion as it were of the vertex club through listening to uh my dulcet tones for the best part of 30 hours um so that's really cool um rob so the standard kind of like format is obviously where you basically get to talk about yourself a little bit to kind of inform the listener on what you do because other than um the obvious of you taking incredible vertex watch photos um and being a zt podcast listener i don't think there's many people who actually know what you do or what you have done so take it away um well obviously rob um i was um i've had a relatively short military career um, so I did six years in total, um, started in the Royal Navy, transferred to the Royal Marines, and uh, that's, um, that's when, when I left. Um, now, um, after a short um, bout of doing odds and sod jobs in between leaving the Marines, um, I am an airport firefighter. Um, so I've been doing this now for just uh, coming up to about 11 years now. Um, started off as a firefighter, then um, got promoted to a crew manager, and now I'm the senior fire officer for a small airport um, down in the southeast of England. Mega. Um, yeah. So not only are you um, obviously ex Royal Navy and Royal Marines, um, you're also now therefore the second firefighter that I've interviewed on this podcast, which is <laughs> ironic. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was listening to Drew's episode and I was like, well, crikey, this is so similar, <laughs> like yeah. as in the firefight inside of it. Um, yeah. 
Well, no, it's, it, I just think it's a really, it was quite a spooky coincidence, really. Um, but now it's really cool. Um, so we're obviously going to, we're, we're here to talk about watches. So what do you, other than the M100, and obviously I know that you've got other watches in your collection, but what, what other yeah. watches do you own? And, you know, is there any stories behind any of the other pieces that we obviously don't necessarily see on your Instagram? Um, yeah, so I, I've got a, a few watches. I haven't got a, a, an extensive collection by any any stretch of the imagination. I physically haven't got the money. <laughs> I, I like a lot of I like a lot of watches, and I'd love to buy a lot of watches, but I just can't really justify it. Um, I've got a, a, a young boy and a wife and a dog to sustain, so <laughs> money's uh, money gets tied up elsewhere. Uh, but yeah, I've I've got several. I've got a couple of Suntos. Um, I've got a, a, a Vector, the bright yellow one. Um, I've yeah. got a Core. Um, I've got um, an old Tissot um, Touch one, which is an ABC, but actually set on a analog dial, um, which um, I got because um, I, at the time. Um, big into climbing and and the outside world, if you like. Um, so I wanted something a little bit more rugged than um, just your average average watch. So I got that, and it actually that's the watch that I joined up with. Uh, so that's been around the world with me. Um, I've got a Seiko SKX zero one three, the little yeah. the thirty eight mil diver um that's relatively new to me um but it's it's quite a nice little watch and 200 meters water resistance yeah. so um it's good if i if, if i go into the sea or anything like that um i've got a garmin uh forerunner 245 um and that's just a fitness watch really yeah um i do i do a lot of cycling um and it it has the the facility to broadcast the heart rate um, so it takes it reads my heart rate and then it can broadcast it to my cycling computer. Yeah. Um, so it, it pulls in all the all the different metrics um, from that. Uh, and then the only other one I've got is I've got a Rotary Aquaspeed. Um, yeah. It's it's a dive watch again, fairly cheap, um, but I'll probably never get rid of it because it's the watch that I got married wearing. That's pretty cool, oh, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, you definitely can't get rid of it because of that sentiment behind it, you know. I mean, or if um, you did, I think you'd have to do it and not tell the wife. It's probably <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably have yeah. to hide that one. Probably have to hide that fact. <laughs> um, yeah. That's quite a well-rounded collection that you've got, and like just going back through some of the watches you've got, like a lot of them are uh, ABC watches, which is quite cool. So, um, as you know, I'm a I'm an army mount uh, army mountaineer. Um, and a rock climbing instructor within the military. So like I have a, a few ABC watches and we both share both the core and the bright yellow vector, which is quite cool. Um, but it's interesting that you had that TSO T-Touch. I didn't realize that that was a ABC watch with an analog display. Uh, I'm assuming that's probably very similar to, um, was it those Breitling ones, the aerospace? I'm guessing it's probably, it probably looks very similar to that, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, yeah. So you you press and hold a button on it, and it activates the it activates the crystal, if you like, and then you can yeah. touch it in different places, and it'll do altimeter, barometer, and compass. Um, and the actual the hands on the face of the mm -hmm. watch then act then act as the north south indicators. Oh, that's pretty cool. 
That is really cool. And what I like about that one is the fact that that's the watch that you joined up with, and I assume you had for your entire career both Royal Navy and Marines. Um, yeah, but believe it or not, when I oh, I can't remember when I changed, I had a couple of G Shocks through mm. through my military career. Uh, one of them's at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean right now. <laughs> nice. Did you? I, I I assume that wasn't an intentional loss. No, that wasn't intentional. Um, I it had um, this is another plug for Zulu Alpha straps. Um, it had a, a a strap on it, but it had a, a plastic clip buckle. Okay. Um, and I did something what they call hands to bathe uh, in the middle of the Atlantic. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you guys have this weird tradition, don't you, where you just stop your 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 ship. Sorry, it's not a boat because a boat's a submarine. So you just stop your your ship and you just decide to go for a swim in the sea. That's it. Does yeah. that does that happen all the time? <laughs> Firstly, does that happen yeah. on every single time you go out? No, no. Okay. No. It's, it, or, it's, it's is it like a convenient thing where you stop in a really nice area of the world, i.e. the Mediterranean or the Pacific, which I assume is nicer than swimming in the, in the Atlantic, and the captain just goes, you know what, guys, half an hour, let's just have a break. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. So it came to a stop in the middle of the Atlantic, um, and then, like you say, um, all, all jumped off. I, I jumped off the side of uh, side of the ship and uh, my watch decided to jump off my uh, wrist <laughs> and I, I literally saw it sink beneath me um, and there's I think it was about three and a half thousand meters deep nice so, did you this... did you attempt to get it as it was kind of slipping away or did you just look I, at it and just kind of go no you know what there's three and a half thousand meters of sea beneath me it's not coming back <laughs> I did, yeah. I did try and swim after it, but it was, it was sinking quicker than I could, uh, <laughs> could go after it. And, and yeah, he's gone forever now. But um, that's still pretty yeah. cool. I mean, I've I've yet to swim in the Atlantic in general, let alone do it in the middle of the Atlantic with three and a half kilometers of sea beneath me. That's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. I've, well, we, I've I've done it a couple of times. Swam across the equator as well. Um, so I stopped on the south side of the yeah. equator and swam to, swam to the north side of the equator. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, yeah. How far did you actually have to swim to get across it? Or is it one of those where, the, you know, you had, um, I guess, a safety boat out and they're like, yeah, keep swimming. And you've, you've, done, a, you've done a thousand meters and they're like, yeah, yeah, you still got a little bit more. You know, was it one of those? Or uh, To be honest, I don't even know if we, we, we physically swam across yeah, yeah, the line, yeah. but it was... It was something that I can tell the kid when he grows up. That's pretty cool. Because it's, it's not like when the army deployed to Kenya, where you get the standard uh, photo of those who've never been to Kenya before, uh, and they're stood next to the sign that is the equator. You know, it's not like that, yeah, is it? Yeah. So, that's still pretty cool, though. They're, they're definitely things that I would definitely do if I was in that situation. Swim across the equator, um, or just generally do a hands to bathe, just because I don't think I'd ever get a chance to do that. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, so, Obviously, you've touched on that you were um, in the in the Royal Navy and the Marines, um, and I believe you were in the warfare branch. Um, I was, yes. Is there any specific way um, that you remember using your watches? Because again, I know that you guys operate or did would have operated in shift patterns and all that kind of stuff. Is it literally just the standard getting up on time, doing whatever yeah. you're required to do? Yeah. So I mean, time, like like you're fully aware timing in the military is pretty much 
everything isn't it um mm. so uh, what time you get up what time you leave your apple off watch um mm. even down to when i was in the marines like through, through training you using them for navigation and things like that um speed time distance calculations obviously 30 miler eight hours you need to be traveling at just uh, what just short of four four miles an hour yeah something like that. um just uh, yeah it's um just the yeah the standard use of watches really um mm -hmm. i mean did occasionally um like use the hands and navigation side of things uh, they'll point the hour hand at the sun and yeah uh, part the difference between the 12 and there's south and um things like that um uh, but yeah, other than that, it's just the general making sure that you're mm. everywhere on time, making sure you're everywhere on time, which is obviously five minutes before your actual time. Yeah, five minutes, five <laughs> minutes before, five minutes before. And that's that's the reason why we always end up drawing weapons from armories at like half four in the morning for a range that doesn't start until 11. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Standard, isn't it? Um, so obviously, because you've always been into watches. Um, yeah. And you've, like I said, you've always had this kind of mechanical uh, or slash watch kind of like, not passion, but like I said, you, you, you've enjoyed, you, you've been aware of them and obviously you've worn them pretty much your whole life. When you were in, did you ever notice the kind of watches that your oppos were wearing? You know what I mean? Because I mean, I know that everyone wears a G-Shock or they have the standard uh, Foxtrot 91 whiskey, uh, which is like ubiquitous and I believe probably should be issued because there's so many of them in the military. But for you, because you joined up with, um, Tso, which I think is yeah. quite an unusual watch anyway, similar to Darren, because obviously he seemed to have joined up with a Tso, so maybe it's a Navy thing. Um, did anyone else kind of, you know what I mean, cotton on to the fact that what you were wearing at the time as well? Or was it just, again, it's just a watch, you just did your normal kind of thing and you only really got properly into this weird and wonderful hobby through Instagram and after you left? Yeah, yeah, the watch side of things, nobody gave a, yeah, a monkey's about it really. It was just, it was a watch. It was mm. just something to get you through your day. Um, with regards to what everybody else was wearing, you're right. Everybody was wearing um, either a G-Shock or the the, the nine ninety nine Casio, mm. um, cheap, small, light, fairly reliable, um, yeah. almost disposable. Once it's trashed, throw it away. Pick yourself a new one. Up. Or in your case, throw it to the bottom of the Atlantic because you can. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, you know, sea turtles need need saving too, right? <laughs> the the question is, is that G stop still ticking at three and a half thousand meters? Yeah, that that would be that would be a question. Um, I mean, it. I like. I mean, how how long ago was this? Over ten years ago, probably not. But I do like to think that it made it to the bottom and it still works. You know, um, who but who? Obviously, who knows? We, we'll never know. Um, in fact, talking about depth rating on watches, did you see, obviously, it links to the Royal Navy so um, and the Marines, is obviously the Elliot Brown Holton. Did you see on the website for the new automatics, they put a, how they tested them on um, their depth rating on, like, I guess, a real sub, as it were. Um, and they got one of the Holtons down to, like, 1,800 metres before it finally piled in. So, yeah. If if a halting can get down to about eighteen hundred meters, I think a G Shock's probably probably very similar. Um, so that's interesting. How, isn't it? How, how did they get about doing that? Did they put a torpedo tube or something? 
I have no idea. Um, to be fair, they did tell me the story when I went and visited them with uh, Mark over at Jana Watch. We went down um, during summer uh, and I think it was to do with like an experimental science thing or something like that. But effectively, from what I recall, it was a civilian kind of submersible, you know, like the little ones or something like that. And they just did okay. what uh, David, um, uh, James Cameron did, which was bolt them onto the side of the submersible and just drop it into the sea just mm -hmm. to see what happened. Um, I believe the only reason it stopped working was because the pressure was so intense on the case that it warped the crystal to the point where it stopped the hands. I don't actually think that, if I remember rightly, it didn't actually do anything to the watch. It just stopped the hands and then they went, obviously, counts as it not working um, yeah, yeah. but they also sent uh one of their ladies watches down the kimmeridge um and i think that got to down to about 1600 meters or something like that as well before that actually they said that the crystal fully imploded like it just popped straight in because of the pressure but either way those watches are you know i guess legally in terms of sales and all that, that kind of stuff only down to like 200 meters so yeah, the two hundred. Is uh, the Holton's three hundred, right? I believe the Holton's actually two hundred off the top of my head. Oh, is it? Oh, um, which is. Well, I mean, either way, I'm not going down two hundred meters. But I mean, clearly they've tested it to eighteen hundred. So anyone who says that they cannot shower in a watch with a screw down crown and two hundred meters water resistance, you're uh, you're kidding yourself, right there. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's there. You go. That was that was a, a fun segue. Um, yeah. In, in terms of how you use them now, then is it again similar similar to Drew, or the other than you know the standard kind of stuff, or do you use them slightly differently? Because obviously, I guess um, being a firefighter at an airport, there's probably a little bit. I don't know. Is there a little bit more difference in terms of your specific role? Because you're not, you know what I mean, not doing it in the streets. Yeah, yeah. So Drew's firefighting is completely different to mine. Um, mm -hmm. He's structural. Um, like domestic side of firefighting, mm -hmm. I, I'm purely an aviation firefighter. Um, okay. So, plane or helicopter crashes, I um, we have a, a we have a what we call a response objective. So, um, we literally have two minutes to from the crash alarm going, um, getting our kit, getting a vehicle, get to the scene, and then produce media on the yeah. on the other side. Um, and with regards to the watch side of things, um, it's not too important on the initial turnout um, mm -hmm. because, um, like I said, we've only got two minutes to get there, so you're not you've got no time to be looking at your watch or anything like that. Yeah. But actually, once you're on scene and things have settled down, as long as um, everybody's um, everybody's safe and and things like that, that's when you start paying attention to timings. Um, so um, what time the ambulances arrive, what time the local authority arrive, when the police yeah. get here, and then just basically timing the event so that when it all gets wrapped up, you can um, write a, an incident report on the, on the yeah. whole thing. And you've got some accurate timings to put down. Of course, yeah. Because um, you said to me, obviously, that you're like, obviously managerial as well, in terms of your role. Do you have, do you actually go out every time there's a crash or do you kind of like, coordinate the guys who respond no because we're a fairly small um fire service um there's no room for for me to stand back and supervise mm -hmm. if you like it, it is proper hands-on 
Okay. Um, get involved as much as possible. And then obviously you have the joy of writing the paperwork up at the end. Yeah, that's the, that's, 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 <laughs> the, that's, the that's the bummer part. Is is that also sometimes the longest part after you do a response of writing the paperwork out? It can be, yeah, depending on the severity of the event, um, depending on whether there's mm. been any any fatalities or anything like that. Um, mm. And yeah, you can you can be you can spend just as long writing about it as you as you did uh, actually dealing with it. Yeah. Um, have you taken the M100 out onto any? Uh, I'm going to refer to them as incidents instead of near misses and uh, and fires because obviously <laughs> I I am um, again uh, we spoke yesterday before we recorded to outline this and obviously you said that um, at the airport that you were uh, you you work at and that we're responsible for there's obviously a lot of student pilots and uh, yeah there must so, be a few um, there's so unlike uh, a, a massive commercial airport where all the pilots are fully trained fully um, um, proficient at their mm -hmm. role um i work at a fairly small airport and um we have quite a lot of student pilots learning to fly um and obviously when when you put somebody learning to do something there's mistakes yeah. happen uh human error comes into it because they're not trained to obviously to the to the standard that they need yeah. to be at um to do it properly uh, and yeah we get quite a lot of incidents um so um i think on average we're probably about uh, about four or five a month. Okay. Um, and yeah, the M100 has accompanied me on a couple already. Nice. Has it gone to anywhere it's actually had to, like, um, I guess, be tested in terms of temperature, or is it, like I said, or have you been? Uh, it, it sounds horrible. Or have it's, you been fortunate? It, it, yeah. Or have you been fortunate where it's been a minor incident? Is what I'm, I was kind of getting at. You know what I mean? It, it's been. It's been with me on um a couple of training exercises that we've mm. done and it's got it's got pretty warm um but like drew said it's always under your fire kit anyway so yeah. um it's pretty well protected from that side mm. of things it's it's just the it's it's more a, a radiated heat such mm. um it's got very wet as well is it <laughs> Is yeah. that just from the hoses and all that kind of stuff, or is that just yeah. because again it's under your kit and you've just sweated through all of your? your kit? Well, there's, there is there is the sweat side of things, but then there's also the water side of things as yeah. well. So for so for real incidents, we use foam, uh, mm -hmm. left foam. Um, but for all our training side of things, we just use water. Mm -hmm. This foam's quite expensive, and of we're course. private fire. We're private fire service, so if we can cut the costs somehow, we will. Uh, so yeah. yeah, we do. We um, tend to operate using um, water for all our training side of things. Um, so yeah, you tend to get pretty wet. Mm. That's uh, uh, yeah. so you have managed to test it then. Is yeah, yeah, and and I've got it wet in photos as well. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. It's good to see that um, you know Vertex is still well. I, I mean, admittedly, everyone who I know who owns a Vertex either listens to the show, has been a part of the show, or is a part of the group chat. Um, but what is good is the fact that not only are these watches very photogenic, as obviously is you know what we're going to talk about in a moment, but the fact that Don has managed to keep the to the roots of Vertex in still producing tools, um, and it's really good. Uh, you know, I think it's quite cool to see that you also use it as a tool. Um, which obviously is obviously must please Don greatly because obviously that's what he designed them for. So, so yeah. Um, in terms of how photogenic the M100 is and 
one of the reasons why you popped up on the, my um, feed, as it were, in terms of the Timely Moments feed, is because you're very good at watch photography. Well, that's so, very kind of you to say. Uh, and that is, yeah, no, that's, that's like, a, that's very true. And I aspire to have the ability to do uh, watch photos like you do. Um, and I know that there are quite a few, uh, well, we even have one professional photographer in the group and within the followership of the podcast. But I would say that pretty much everyone um, is an amateur photographer at some level in terms of either the kit or they just like taking photos. And I know that there was a few questions um, that have been banded around about your photography. So here's your chance now to obviously tell the good listeners how you do some of your, your um, photos in terms of maybe some of the kit that you use or any tips that you've got, um, especially like the ones where I've seen where you've obviously, it looks like you've basically thrown your watch in the air and you've managed to get that snapshot of, you know, the, the one with the Scrabble pieces? Yeah, so that was an actual throw. Um, so I had the Scrabble pieces lined up on the, the little Scrabble board mm -hmm. that you get. Um, so I had two of those and the watch itself as well. And it took so many attempts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was literally a case of throwing them all up into the air at the same time. And somebody was pressing the... Um, shutter button on my camera yeah. it was it was set up on a tripod manual focus at where I was throwing it so um, it was it didn't have to do any of the auto focusing side of life yeah um, and yeah um, just on a tripod um, fast um, high burst frame rate um, literally through and then just fired away <laughs> yeah probably probably 30 shots per throw and I must have thrown it oh god uh probably about 25 times or something like that so, nice. so I took an awful lot of photos to do that one um and then it's a case of going through them all picking the picking the one that looks all right um and then yeah I I'm I, I don't do an awful lot of editing um mm -hmm. with with regards to software side of things I'm not particularly good with photoshop or anything like that or lightroom um yeah. I just tend I just tend to tweak it ever so slightly like maybe reduce the highlights and bring the shadows up a bit mm. um and then yeah um crop it to a square as <laughs> yeah, yeah. as it gets <laughs> and then post That's... it on uh, post it on Instagram um the 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 one uh, of uh, of the M one hundred on a black beard that looks like it's been ex exploded in water, if you like. That was um, that was a water balloon. So I got a, a kid's water balloon, um, yeah. suspended it off, suspended it off my washing line in 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 my back garden. Yeah. Um, put the watch around it, and then mm -hmm. uh, got my got my wife with a. a a needle effectively uh, yeah. to pop the balloon as I took the photo um, rotated it about 45 degrees so it didn't look like it was just straight up and down um, yeah and yeah um, I've been the highlights and and things from the background um, dropped the shadows right down so it became more 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 of a contrast mm. um, and then yeah I'm looking at that I'm photo not... right now because um, I'm looking at some of them that because obviously I did want to talk about them um, that is, yeah, a really cool photo because what I initially thought you'd done is effectively thrown it into water uh, somehow and managed to obviously have something behind the watch that gave that um, effect that it was around something. 
Um, but I can see now that you've explained that it was a water balloon and how you did it, I can see it. Um, that's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah, so, yeah. It was literally just wrapped around a water balloon, and then I, I popped the balloon from in, from around the uh, from the inside of the strap, if you like, mm-hmm. and then um, and then that uh, that produced that one. What about? Um, so we'll talk about your one today that you did for Trafalgar. <laughs> where you've basically balanced your M100 by one lug on the tip of your finger. How many times <laughs> did you drop it? <laughs> or was so, there a pillow underneath your hand so that when it fell off, in the, invariably, uh, you weren't going to smash it onto like ceramic flooring? Um, so I was on my landing um, um, and there's a window just off, off my landing. So that was giving me the lighting for it. Yeah. Um, and I took it actually relatively close to the ground. Um, yeah. So it was, it was probably only about, uh, probably about 30 centimeters above the floor at any, yeah. any time. So the risk of dropping, it wasn't, wasn't a big worry. Mm. Um, but that was a case of, I set the camera up on a tripod um, yeah. and I had it on, um, a 10 second delay timer and then mm-hmm. it would take three then it would take three photos yeah. at the end of that 10 seconds um so basically got it in position again manual focus so that i didn't have to worry about it falling out of focus um position my hand um push the uh push the shutter release uh, and then i held it with actually both hands so there's my left hand where it's balanced on yeah. and then there's my right hand that's holding the top yeah. And then literally as the countdown timer was clicking by, right just before it was about to take the shot, I just moved my right hand out of the way. And nice. it went ting, ting, ting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, again, that took several takes. It didn't happen the first time. Um, and uh, it didn't take quite as many as the, uh, the Scrabble photo. Um, but yeah, it probably took me 10 or 15 attempts to get a decent one. Um, and um, yeah, I think it yeah it did I, it, was a, it was a really cool one when I saw it this morning because you, you tagged the the page in it and I was like oh he's he's, he's continuing to outshine me on my photography because <laughs> uh, like I said it's aspirational levels of photography the only other one I want to talk about okay yeah. um, other than obviously we're going to talk about a little bit but maybe about what camera you use and stuff that kind of stuff because again I know uh, Raz for example is a Canon user um, you know, and I know some people have different cameras that they use, so it might be interesting for them to know what camera you actually use for it. But is the one where you have got your M100 with uh, a Sanguine Compass on it. Uh, and there's two photos on that. One of it's it's round the, what looks like a key ring. Um, yeah. But the other one looks like you've just, again, have you just thrown it into the sky <laughs> with the lake in the background? Because I assume that's what you've done. Um, um, no, that was actually suspended. Okay. Um, so there's, um, it was taken between, um, off a fence effectively. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was again, quite low down to the ground. Um, there was a, a, a just a, a normal wooden fence. Um, yeah. I suspended it off the, off the, off the horizontal beam, um, just in front of the lake. And then, um, they said took the photo. Um, and then all I did was literally, took a second photo without the watch there yeah 
and then basically if you put the two photos over the top of each other you can then what you can do what something what they call um, mask the background there yeah so uh, um i applied a mask to the background there and then basically just got rid of the um the bit of wire that it was hanging off nice nice does your wife um get annoyed with you when you pull the camera out and you're like come here hold this <laughs> uh get involved with this bit Th throw some scrabble tiles in the air with me um and we'll oh, see i did the scrabble down. one at work so the, <laughs> the, the lads at work got involved with that one um but yeah she's she's quite patient with me she's patient <laughs> like, that's it <laughs> a very politically correct answer she's patient with me she understands yeah. that this is an affli affliction that i now have um, yeah uh, like today i must have spent a good hour hour and a half of my life <laughs> <10 to 2. laughs> yeah yes <laughs> or constantly okay. <laughs> um so yeah for for a good while i was sat at, you know, like you said 10 to 2 taking photos of the watch nice. uh, and then and then subsequently um getting it all right for for instagram nice i think what would be really cool right for your next one and whatever photo you do next right? um do a do the photo and then do the behind the scenes photo so get the wife to take a photo of what you look like <laughs> when you're trying <laughs> to do them um just for a my own amusement but also to kind of show some of the people that, again like you said some of the effort that goes into your photography because it is really good um and um i know for a fact um when your instagram popped up people were messaging me to say do you know who this person is um and who is this guy because again um in terms of m100 ownership we all know obviously it's quite they're quite difficult to, to get hold of i suppose it's you know uh it's probably the way that most people would look at it um but it's quite a small fraternity that owns them and it seems to be you're only really one or two levels removed from another person who owns them you know what i mean so uh it yeah. definitely got you you noticed shall we say uh which is good it's always always good um in terms of the camera that you use what what, what brand have you gone for um uh, my experience is on nikon and canon um, yeah, so I've got, I, I, so like I said, do a lot of cycling. So I needed something that was quite easy to, to transport around. So mm -hmm. um, I've actually got a, a little Panasonic Lumix GX9. Mm -hmm. so it's a micro four third camera. So it's, yeah. it, it's not particularly high spec at all. Um, it's, it was relatively cheap in the camera world. Um, it was about 500 pounds, I think um and yeah the beauty of it is because of its compact size it means when i'm cycling around i can carry it with me um, yeah that's cool there's no there's no point in having a massive camera and you never take it anywhere um because it's too heavy too bulky blah 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 um so yeah i went for a nice compact little it's uh, mirrorless um yeah. i think it's got about 20 uh, megapixels um it's yeah it does, the, does job. the job yeah no and it does the job very well as well which is quite cool um yeah. you said that sorry um you said that uh, did, uh, i'm gonna say yeah, i've got a couple of lenses for it so i can play around and um if i'm doing a, a close shot i can get yeah. a macro macro lens on it if i'm doing a longer shot i've got a telephoto lens on it and yeah it's it's actually not too bad that's cool Oh, that's really cool. Um, you said that um, your uh, colleagues helped you with the Scrabble one. 
Um, so therefore, yeah. they now know your affliction of all things Vertex. Um, what are their opinions on it? Have they spoken to you about the watch itself or have they, did they notice it kind of thing, you know, when you bought it in before you started taking photos of it? Or is it something that they only started noticing when you were taking photos of it? Um, yeah, they all noticed it, all like it. Um, they're very much smart watch wearers. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I turned up with a, a, a Vertex M100 and, and said that I had to wind it up every morning, they were like, what? Yeah. I said, yeah, but the, diff- the, the difference with winding a watch up every morning um, is I don't have to charge it uh, mm-hmm. every single day, like a, an Apple watch or, or whatever like that. I mean, I, I can't say much. I've had smart watches myself. Um, but um, there's something great about not having to rely on batteries yeah. um, or charging and things like that. Yeah, I, I, I think the one of the joys about owning a Vertex, um, and I guess, I mean, writ large, you could say a manually wound watch as a whole, is I like the routine of actually winding it. I think it's quite a therapeutic thing, you know, to have that kind of like um, part of your day where you just sit there for all of, I guess, probably what, not even 30 seconds, but it's a part of the routine to be like, right, taking this off, I'm going to wind it and then put it on your wrist. I just really like that part of it. I don't know, was that one of the like um, compelling factors to why you bought the M100 or was it just because you fell in love with the story? Um, You know, how was I it? Well, I, 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 first and foremost, I just love the look of the watch. Um, absolutely stunning piece. Um, then, yeah, the, the manual side of it, um, a bit of me would have preferred it to be automatic, um, but I, the, the, the manual wine side of things doesn't bother me whatsoever. And like you say, now months of owning it, I'm actually, it's becoming a daily routine and I'm yeah. really enjoying it. And I must admit now, having owned it, I do actually think manual wind is 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 probably you have that more more of a connection to the watch than a, an automatic watch, if yeah. you like. Yeah. Um, because you have you have to get involved with it every day and make sure that it's going to keep ticking. Yeah. No, I agree. Which I I I really like about it. Yeah. No, I I like that point about it as well. Um, have you ever taken it? on uh cycling or climbing or is is it reserved for n- not those activities as it were no no it's it's done some it's done some cycling with me um so um i commute to and from work on my bike um <clears throat> so so it's it's gone backwards and forwards to work several yeah. well quite a few times now yeah of course uh, um and yeah it's holding up well yeah yeah. Do you think, so we're going to talk about this because uh, we mentioned it in the introduction. Do you think uh, you'd uh, take it on the Trafalgar way? Um, yeah, I would. Purely because I want, I want, it to, I, I want to make memories with this watch. And, mm-hmm. and that, that's, that's a memory for, for sure. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, so we're going to talk about the Trafalgar Way because obviously you um, you've done more miles cycling than I think I've um, probably in that one event than I've ever done in my entire twenty eight years of being alive. So do you want to tell the listeners uh, about this Trafalgar Way event? Because when you told me about it yesterday, I was kind of a little bit well. I, I was imp- I was firstly impressed uh, and secondly horrified that you 
did it in the time that you did it in because it just sounded disgusting. Um, but also, I was surprised that as an event, it's not. I've, I, you know what I mean? Like, I know it's not the Tour de France or anything, but I thought that it would be something that, you, you know, when you think about like military charities and kind of sporting events to raise money for charities, that I'm surprised it's not been like advertised more often. You know, and that, it was the first time I'd ever heard of it. So I'm sure the majority of the listeners out there haven't heard of it either. Yeah, so um, I'm guessing that quite a few people know um, the, the obviously what happened at the Battle of Trafalgar, um, spookily enough, 215 years mm. ago today. Um, after the victory there, um, a, a messenger was sent um, to deliver the news to the Admiralty in London. Um, the ship that they were on... Um, got off the coast of Falmouth and a boat was sent ashore and then he rode um, 21 horses um, between Falmouth and London it took him 38 hours to, to cover that distance um, and he delivered the news of the, the victory at the uh, Battle of Trafalgar and also uh, Nelson's death to the Admiralty mm-hmm. um, so the ride the Trafalgar way which is the the, the the cycle event that we're talking about now. Um, I first did it in 2015, um, and uh, it was it was only it was only just getting started as an event, and they needed a few people to to try it, see if it would work, um, and also to kind of publicise it a bit as yeah, it's possible to do it. Um, so yeah, you, we uh, me and a mate Dan started off uh, in Falmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we cycled the 482 kilometers between Falmouth and London uh, in just over 17 and a half hours. Yeah, um, that's a long and way. The whole, <laughs> the, whole, um, the whole event is trying to stay as close as possible to the original route um, that the messenger took. Um, and yeah, you ride along basically the Trafalgar Way all the way from Falmouth to London. The first hundred miles is a bit hilly. Um, <laughs> Only the first hundred miles. Uh, then it then it kind of levels out a bit between Exeter and Salisbury, uh, mm. and then the last the last hundred between uh, Salisbury and London's relatively flat in comparison. Um, so yeah, it, the Tuckers well. We were just short of 300 miles. We were 299 miles, and, and yeah, it took us 17 and a half hours. Strong. How many? So you said to me earlier how the amount of horses and the cost that the initial rider uh, messenger went through. I can't remember the number. Uh, I remember it was so just, 21 was it, horses. Yeah. 38, 38 hours, and it cost him 46 pounds. 46 pounds. That was the thing that stuck out in my mind because that's a lot of money for 1805. Um, did you have to go through 21 tyres or 21 bikes? <laughs> I, just, I, I just used the one bike, um, my rather nice uh, stalk bike that I own. Um, and I used the one bike. Um, I did eat an awful lot of food. Um, drank an awful lot of water, drank an awful yeah. lot of water um, because I think we got to uh, something ridiculous like fifteen, sixteen thousand calories burnt during that event. Strong, strong. Did you? Um, you didn't suffer any punctures on the way either. 
he just did it on that one bike and just went for it. I assume. Believe, believe, believe it or not, uh, that whole 300 miles, not a single puncture. That's impressive. That's impressive. So all I've taken away from this, right, is yes, you've cycled more miles than I've ever cycled in my entire life in 17 hours. Uh, but also, the Admiralty should have sent him on a bike and not horses to, to get there. Because he would have yeah. got there quicker and it would have been cheaper. <laughs> well... Yeah, I wouldn't say my bike was cheaper than driving. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that event gonna? I mean, obviously, you know, we've obviously clearly got COVID restrictions and everything like that. But is I assume that event is um, going to happen again at some point? Yeah, I believe so. Um, I think they're holding it virtually this year. Um, so basically, you can sit at home on a turbo trainer and, and do, do the mileage or whatever um, and do it that way. And then, yeah once the covid restrictions lift then the event will start going again um, but i think it's changed format slightly so when mm-hmm. me and uh, when when i did it in 2015 um it was a case of you started and you rode until you got to the finish yeah. whereas now i think now i think they're doing it as a 48 hour event where you can right. stop where you can stop and have a kip and stuff like that and then carry on um because i think to do that whole thing in one hit is actually quite um, quite a feat for um, the majority of people that are trying to get involved in these kind of events. Mm. So they've actually split it down into three segments, and you can choose okay. to do what you can choose to do one, two, or all three. Um, because, like I said, it, it, the, the segments are Falmouth um, to Exeter, Exeter to Salisbury, and then Salisbury to London. Um, so yeah, you can do one, two, or yeah. all three. Um, if you choose to do all three, I think you get forty-eight hours to do it in. Whereas when when we did it, we had a a, a, t- a cut-off time of twenty-four hours. So if you didn't hadn't done it, then that's it. And I say we managed to do it in seventeen in a minute. That's mega. That's mega. I expect to see um, when <laughs> when it's not being done virtually. I expect to hear some news or see some photos of you doing it again. But this time with a vertex on your wrist, <laughs> see if you can uh, <laughs> see if you can break your time of seventeen hours. Um, because that's the other thing, right? Is you obviously said that they've changed it and said that you have to, you know, you have 48 hours to complete it. But I assume that's 48 hours maximum that you don't have to use all of that time if you don't want to. You could just smash it out in as quickly as possible. We did, we we did go back the uh, I think it was the following year or maybe the year after, um, to, to go and see if we could beat our time. Mm. Um, Unfortunately for me, I got stung in the eye by a wasp. Um, and my eye, and my eye swelled up, um, so I couldn't see out of my left eye, um, and obviously my, that ruined all my depth perception and stuff like yeah. that. So it was, it was a bit dangerous for me to carry on. So mm. I, I pulled pulled out. Subsequently, Dan, who I was riding, was pulled out again, and, and because the weather was absolutely atrocious as well, um, he pulled out and. Uh, Salisbury so he made it I made it 100 miles he made it to 200 miles um, but yeah we have said that we'll we'll try it again one time and see if we can see if we can beat 17 and a half hours nice well when you re-attempt it let us know because uh, we'll uh, yeah we'll uh, definitely kind of watch out for that I think that's a really cool event to uh, advertise as well especially if there's uh, that not only the naval connection but I'm guessing there will be at some level a charitable connection to it as well so that's really cool um, finally for my selfishness um, because I like climbing and I don't really care if anyone doesn't um, and we know that you um, you're a climber 
Uh, what watches yeah. did you use climbing? Because every time I, I go out um, or did go out when I was instructing overseas, um, I would literally always wear my, my Vector um, or an ABC watch. Um, but then occasionally I actually would rock climb in all things in a Bremont U2. <laughs> just to have a go so um yeah i i put i the first bremont i ever owned was actually a, a retail uh bremont u2 um and again they obviously market and don't they as, as tested beyond endurance and all that kind of stuff and i'm not saying that i was climbing everest or anything like that um i was purely just doing short sport climbing um which was still pretty cool to be fair and especially the locations that we were doing in cyprus um but yeah i like to think that um i at least got to kind of put a bremont u2 in it through its paces so i assume you only ever used your um your suntos when you went climbing yeah yeah so um literally yeah any sun the sunto vector was my goal to really um strap it on it got absolutely abused because the majority of my climbing was done in the Peak District. Yeah. Um, the, Peak, the Peak District is gritstone um, and it's really, really coarse yeah. rock. Um, so you catch anything on it and it's going to scratch. Yeah. Um, this, this vector was obliterated. Um, the, 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 well, the logo wears off anyway, but that yeah, was it does. Um, The bezel... Uh, it, was pretty much worn down to the crystal. <laughs> yeah, well, not, it's not even a crystal, is it? But the the the, the, the display, glass. yeah, yeah, um, that was worn down. And I think even uh, towards the end, uh, the bezel actually came off. Um, and then I was just it was rocking without a bezel. Um, yeah, so this, the I said the vector was my go-to. Then I replaced that with the core. Mm. Uh, which again is a is a great watch for that kind of outdoor activity, um, and then unfortunately my climbing's kind of dried up a bit. Um, but I would like to get back into it. Um, well, uh, maybe when all the COVID restrictions um, kind of loosen off, maybe we can uh, get together and do a, a ZT related climb, mate. That'd be quite cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, especially because as, as you know, as you know i'm i'm from well, my i say my i'm yeah i'm i'm from the southeast of england anyway and i've got family down there so maybe we can go and have a climb uh when all the restrictions um loose enough or change that'd be quite cool uh it's funny that you mentioned how your bezel effectively got knocked off the vector because i remember when i went up to the peaks when i first started climbing in the military and this is quite a funny story i mean for me because it didn't happen to me and it wasn't my watch but obviously <laughs> it, it broke the heart of the the instructor and i remember it was a it was a flight lieutenant rock climbing instructor and uh, he bought this brand new core. And he was obviously saying how oh, it's amazing. And he said, yeah, it's gonna be my instructing watch and climbing watch. And you know, I'll be able to deploy with it and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and in fairness, he did deploy with it um, because he was, um, well, he was a pilot. So he did get overseas quite a lot. And he's like, this is gonna be my, my work watch, my climbing watch and whatever. And he's obviously big timing this watch. And, and that was yet at the time at being 19, you're like, yeah, this is mega. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna go and buy one of those. And we went to the peaks and to Wales uh, multiple times. Um, and we split one trip across the peaks and um, Snowdonia for um, 
a rock climbing instructing course. So it was basically the introduction to climbing for myself uh, and a group of guys from the station. And they split it across the two locations because we could. And obviously he's got this brand new watch on. And I think it got to about day three and he set up his ropes and he abseiled off the top of one of these crags to come down. And again, like you said, Gritstone um, is obviously really coarse and it's quite abrasive. And for some reason uh, he had his watch and it was exposed so there were obviously his, his cuffs on his climbing jacket were quite tight and obviously they, they they sat up you know behind the watch and something snagged on his cell on the way down and he ripped obviously his, his sleeve uh down and not didn't really think about the watch because obviously as you know the suntos are quite light aren't they you don't once they're on you don't really tell that they're on even though they're quite big aren't they um yeah. and he didn't think anything of it you know he's a bit gutted that he obviously ripped the, the edge of his sleeve um got down to the bottom sorted out the lines and it was only when he fully kind of took a minute to look at how big the rip was on his on his uh, jacket sleeve that he then obviously cocked his wrist to look at the time and he had what looked like uh it looked like he'd taken a sand kind of like you know grinder to the edge of the bezel because it just took off like the whole top surface on it but it was interesting because obviously cores had aluminium or still do have aluminium bezels so if it was a vector it probably would just pop the whole thing off but the, the cores one was obviously a little bit more um robust but he just took the whole top layer off one side at an angle and he's just like well i've, I've fucked that now i've not <laughs> it's just like you know he kind of like nicked the edge of the the, the the display as well and he was just like oh I only, I only got this like you know last week it was brand new like for the four of his trip but, and he was just like what do i do <laughs> it's, it's it's stories though isn't it it's, it is it's, a story exactly that and um, that's uh, one thing that i do believe about watches is that every little nick that's on them tells a story and yeah. and um, I, I actually prefer to i won't deliberately go out and damage a watch um but i do um i'm, I'm not afraid of getting a watch scratched yeah. because um i mean if i owned a rolex apparently i'm probably changed my mind about that but <laughs> <laughs> well as um, as as we all know the first scratch is always the worst on any watch isn't it it doesn't matter what it is it's always that first one you go, ooh, ooh, i yeah, didn't mean to yeah. do that and then like you said you're like okay yeah you know you kind of uh, you get used to it and like you said you accept it after a while but what was yeah. funny is you talk about how that was obviously a story behind that obviously he clearly didn't forget that <laughs> um the bezel incident on that climbing trip but what was funny is because i was at the squadron um for just under three years and so was he mainly because on his conversion to type he basically was only ever going to be there until the um the airframe disbanded as it were or um, retired um or he retraded into a different type um and as far as i'm aware he's still there now um but what was funny is that we did actually see the journey of that watch in the three years i was there because by the year after he'd obviously gone on more climbs and effectively he had not managed to shear the bezel off. So he had this core and it just had the display and the empty bit where the bezel was. And it was just like, ah, okay, yeah, you just committed to this now. Um, but yeah, it was quite funny to see how at the beginning of the time I was at the squadron, he had a brand new core. Within a week, he'd scratched the bezel up like pretty, pretty in, in, um, impressively. And then by the time I left the squadron, he basically had this core that was just effectively hanging off like, you know, half a rubber strap because he'd broken all the retainers as well on the on the loops yeah. and stuff like that and it was started to crack and then he had missing a bezel and it's just like 
Yeah, you've got your you've got your use out of that. So those little rubber retainers are always going, aren't they? Yes. Um, especially on some tours. Nine times out of ten, you see them with elastic bands holding them yeah. together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or um, one of the guys who, again, was in, in the squadron with me, he had a core, and he'd obviously had a uh, he had a daughter, like, you know, toddler age, and uh, one day, again... Yeah, pink so, hairband. Pink hair, yeah, it was as well, yeah, it was pink hairband, and it was just, oh, see what you've been doing, and again, it was that standard story of it just went, popped, and this is the first thing that I could find, you know, uh, so, yeah. That, I think that's the that's the weak point on on rubber straps, isn't it? Is, is the retaining loops. Uh, um, in terms of watches, then, so obviously we know that you have a love uh, for Vertex. Are there any yes. other watches that you've been eyeing up um, to get into your collection um, at some point, or are you pretty content with what you're what you've got? Um, no. Um... When you spoke to Don, I know he yes. did hint at wanting to do a vertex diver. Yes. Um, so if that does come to fruition, I will be definitely uh, getting one of those. Nice. Um, because I'm a big diving watch fan. Um, mm -hmm. Not that I, not that I do dive. I just mm. quite like the I quite like the look of them and the design features and things. Uh, so if, yeah, if one of those uh, makes an appearance, I'll probably uh, get one of those. Um, other than that, um, I really like the look of the Sangin Dark Merlin. Um, oh yeah, just something yeah. something about that watch that I really really like the look of. And I know you've got one, and you obviously really like it. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I really like to get one of those. Yeah. Um, but for now, um, I don't think my wife would be too impressed if uh, I spend any more of the money. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you have to have the sit down chat when you bought the Vertex? Was it one of those moments? Was it? Uh, no, she was quite supportive about oh, it. Actually, um, she was. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, do it. But um, she she didn't want me to just buy it and then and then go. Actually, I want another one now. Uh, yeah. She was like, if you're gonna buy a watch, make sure it's the the one for now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, she was, she was she was good about it. That's 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 always good that she's uh, understandable, <laughs> understanding about about this affliction that we have. Um, in terms of the diver, um, yeah, uh, when Don was interviewed um, on the lives during the lockdown time that we had, um, obviously he did hint at that diver. I have no idea when that is due to come out, but I do remember seeing obviously what he was happy to show people. And, and if I remember rightly, it did look pretty cool. It looked quite unique as well compared to other divers out there, which is always good. Um, but yeah, the other one, obviously, yeah, the Sangin um, is a very nice watch. What's interesting is that um, both the Vertex and the Merlin are both 40 mil. Um, but they wear completely differently. I find. I think I find that they give a completely different presence on the wrist, and I've got small wrists. And um, it's quite funny that the Merlin looks smaller, but even next to it. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah I, th I think it's probably something to do with the color, is it? I think it's the colour. So I think with the, the black cases, because um, mine's actually the steel case, um, I think with black, as we know, black absorbs light, so it kind of tricks the eye to making you think that what you're looking at is smaller anyway. Um, but even with my stainless steel one next to the um, the M100, it still looks smaller. And I think I think 
the reason for that is because it's got a bezel and it's got a black bezel around the crystal and obviously the, that makes the crystal look smaller so therefore I think it tricks your eye to thinking that the watch is also smaller yeah, um, yeah. but they're both obviously very good watches for for you know what they are and what they provide and I think the coolest part of the Sangin is the what I like is the bezel and the crown. I like the rifling. It's the tactile feel of the bezel and the crown is just really, really cool. Uh, there's like zero play in both the bezel and the crown when they're set. So obviously when you've screwed that crown in, um, it's not going to go, you know what I mean? You're not going to accidentally pop that crown or accidentally unscrew it. Whereas other watches I've had with um, screwed down crowns in the past, sometimes you feel like you could probably, you know what I mean? Knock it a little bit. Uh, whereas... Yeah that sangin not gonna undo accidentally um but i yeah i really also like the tactileness of the, the bezel on it it's, it's really cool um so i think you'd be happy with either of those in future i mean obviously we can't compare it to the vertex diver um because it's as far as i'm aware it's not been made yet um or if it has don's uh, kept it very very quiet um yeah. but uh if he ever listens to this episode if he ever wants um people to get their hands on it um i will willingly volunteer um, to yeah, have yeah me too uh, me too if he wants me to take some photos of it i'm, yes. <laughs> I'm there <laughs> yeah go 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 to rob for any future photos um because clearly there's a market for vertex photos um right there um before we leave it off the episode and go to the traditional end of closing notes, where can um, the listeners find you on Instagram? Uh, so it's rw uh, underscore m100. Nice. Um, as, I've, as, I, as I take photos of an m100, <laughs> but I put it in the name. Um, yeah. will, will you change it then when uh, the the next uh, Vertex comes into your collection eventually to the, the other model. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll cross that bridge when we get cross there. Cross the bridge when we get there. Okay, that's good. That's good. But what I'll do is I will put your um, Instagram handle into the show notes as well for, for those who um, need that link effectively. So that's not a problem. Um, whether, unless you've got anything else to say um, that we've missed off, um, it's time to go on to closing notes. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm you happy? I can, yeah, happy to close it up. Cool. So, um, as you're the guest, then, Rob, um, what closing notes have you brought for me today? Um, well, I've, I've, um, I've got a podcast for you today. Nice. Um, okay. it's, uh, it's another watch podcast, I'm afraid, which I know is uh, not, not necessarily a closing note because you try and stay away from watches. Uh, but I've been listening to Ten and Two. I don't know if yep. you've heard of that one before. Um, T E double N and Two. Um, it's a podcast hosted by uh, two two women from Nashville, I believe. Um, yeah. Cat and Cat and Catlin, um, and they just talk about watches and photos and actually. They have a different. Uh opinion don't they on um upon watches in terms of it, what i find is interesting is they look at a lot of the, the normal kind of stuff um which is obviously mirrored across all the other outlets out there such as hudinki and everyone else like the bigger ones but what's interesting is that they're women um 
and I think that um, that opinion is kind of refreshing because it's a male orientated hobby or at least it seems that way um, that's why yeah, I kind of enjoy them for that uh, reason the fact that they give a different opinion yeah give a different opinion and and um, it's nice to just to have a, a female voice talking about watches for a change rather than necessarily always being a male voice yeah no I agree um, so I'm going to give you two closing notes now because your your closing note has um, basically just inspired me to give you one um, which I mean well everyone can go and have a look have you heard of a girl called Jenny L she's on YouTube and I, she I is yeah, yeah she's a female watch collector and kind of watch reviewer and she does it with her husband who does it but in Germany so I think like they've got different channels and I think one of them from what I've heard is like specifically to the German market in German and you know it looks at obviously German specific stuff and that's what he runs but then she's kind of branched out to like the rest of the world and obviously I guess the English speaking kind of community which is interesting so if you like a different opinion uh, I'd say have a look at Jenny L so that's a good one uh, but my original closing note um, and I think a lot of people will be interested in this one so you have to download Disney Plus and sign up for that but I think at the moment you have you can get like a month's free trial or X amount a week's free trial um, but it's a TV show called The Right Stuff um, so The Right Stuff is based on a book that was written in the 70s and it's about the astronaut space program but not about how we got to the moon per se it's more it follows the kind of characteristics and it looks at the astronaut screening process uh, and it follows obviously all the famous uh, people who obviously eventually did go into space so um, that's my closing note um, so yeah uh, go on to Disney plus and watch the right stuff if you don't want to sign up for Disney plus because I know some people just aren't that way inclined um, there is the book it's on Amazon and it's downloading full on Kindle. And there's also an old like 1980s film of the right stuff as well, um, which people obviously raved out so much. That's why they brought out the TV series. So in, um, well, basically I've pretty much given you four closing notes right there. Three of them are exactly the same thing, uh, but in different formats. And then the other one is uh, Jenny L. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out um but yeah rob thank you very much mate for allowing me to drag you on to um be interviewed as it were uh for the collector collectors interview series um i hope you enjoyed it um i definitely did um and just so you're aware um you'll have a zt podcast patch out in the post um by the end of the week Awesome. Thank you very much. I'll uh, I'll probably take a photo of it. I, I hope you do. Uh, and I look forward to seeing <laughs> I, I look forward to seeing the patch um with um your M one hundred in a uh creative way. Um just saying I wouldn't mind seeing you throwing them both up in the air and just seeing what happens. Mainly for my own amusement, knowing that it's gonna take you thirty times to get it right. Um <laughs> but maybe your challenge that I can set you is whichever photo you do use it in is do a behind the scenes photo as well just for my amusement just to show people the kind of uh i guess the hardships that you go through to get some of the, the good photos that you've put onto your um your page 
yeah no worries um on that if anybody does have any like challenges or weird requests or something like that feel free um because believe it or not coming up with the idea for photos is actually probably one of the harder things than actually taking the photos um so yeah if anybody's got any wild and wacky ideas um hit me up i think you need to caveat that because i know some of the listeners uh, you should probably caveat that with uh, it's, got in, in, it's got to be achievable but it's probably also got to be Instagram friendly because you don't want to get locked out because I'm pretty sure now you're going to have some horrendous messages from the likes of uh, Darren <laughs> and uh, a few other of you ex-Navy types uh, with your uh, banter and humour which I accept but I don't think Instagram photo uh, regulations and all that kind of stuff we're, we're going to be happy yeah. with some of those requests but yes yeah, um, yeah. as long as they're yeah, achievable clean and, and, and <laughs> in, Instagram Insta friendly yeah. Yeah. yeah then uh, yeah challenge away awesome I look forward to it Rob thank you very much mate for coming on um, I hope everyone else enjoyed the, the episode I definitely enjoyed talking to Rob and um, until next time, guys, uh, be safe and look forward to the next episode.